Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. My family and I have spent more than 10 years traveling on our boat on family vacations in the summers. We've spent so much time at small ports in Wisconsin and Michigan. Those trips taught us a lot. We had a lot of fun, but we also had a lot of challenges on the way too. Last summer, I was reading an article in a boating magazine. That article was an interview with Dr. Wallace J. Nichols, author of Blue Mind. After I read the article, which talked about the benefits of boating for your overall well-being, I had to contact him. He agreed to be our guest today. In our interview, we talk about our personal anecdotes about why we love the water, the difference between blue mind, red mind, and gray mind, the science behind the benefits of water on our overall physical, emotional, and mental well-being, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy. I'm a marine biologist by training. I'm a water lover since birth. And those two things obviously are connected. But what I've been focused on is trying to better understand the true value in our lives as humans of healthy waters, lakes, rivers, oceans, pools, the tap water, the shower, the bathtub, all the water that flows through our lives really trying to get a better understanding of its value. Uh, And as a scientist, I approach it kind of, you know, I'm interested in the research, I'm interested in doing or gathering and summarizing the research, but then I think most importantly, sharing what I learn in the most practical ways possible. Uh, I publish a lot of papers, they sit in the journals, those journals sit on the shelves or online, and a handful of people read them that's not what I'm all about uh, anymore. I, I think that's important, but you got to get get the science and the information practically into people's hands. And so that's the other part of um, what I try to do is is uh, build networks of, of uh, like-minded or open-minded people and then share the work. That's what I've been up to the last 10 years is really looking at the, the physical, social, and emotional health benefits of water in our lives. What I, what I know as a marine biologist is that when we undervalue our water, bad things happen. Just as when we undervalue each other, bad things happen. So you are telling me that your, you know, your family derives all of this joy and connectivity, that's part of the value of that water that you get to be on together. It, it, brings, it brings peace, it brings solitude, it brings connectivity, it brings understanding, it brings insight, it brings relaxation. You know, yes, water gives us the oxygen we breathe. Yes, it gives us jobs, it boosts the economy. Yes, it gives us protein. But it also gives us all of these incredible uh, emotional benefits. The intangibles, yeah. 
if you've been a person like I've been fortunate enough and quite frankly, took it for granted a lot of times, you know, it's not easy to manage your family in a confined space on a quote unquote vacation uh, when we feel like we're driving each other crazy. But there were so many wonderful lessons and so many wonderful benefits that continue to give even after so many years of traveling and and having a family life on a boat where we actively sought out time together on the boat and took active vacations week, two weeks at a time, being away from everything, learning how to talk to each other, learning how to get along, learning how to manage conflict, learning how to relax together, learning how to establish boundaries and respect one another's boundaries. I understand Blue Mind through my life and, and research, but I really love hearing it when it passes through your life and others. And, and I think that's what, that's what makes it work is you have your experience with water, with your family, with boating, and everybody else has their experience and it's going to be different. And so, you know, I, when I, when I lecture, I, I I'll often, I, I turn it from lecture to facilitation and, I'll ask an audience, what's your water? What's the water you first fell in love with? What's the water you're in love with today? Turn to the person next to you and share your water story. Okay, go. And then the room explodes with conversation. And it's so beautiful because they're, you know, everybody gets to tell their water story to their new friend. And we've all got a water story and, and, they're, and they're all different. They're all you know, maybe maybe the bathtub, and it may be the Pacific Ocean, it may be Lake Michigan, and it may be a um, a community pool, and it may there may be pain involved in the story, and there may be reconciliation, there may be dear friendships, and there may be uh, loss, you know, lost loved ones involved in in a relationship with water, and but it's so rich and it's so personal. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the work too, is, is having conversations like this that inspire people to say, hey, I've never really thought about it, but boat sounds like fun. Or, you know, taking some time at the beach sounds like fun. And let's, let's figure that out as, as, as a couple, as an individual, as a family, um, as a team, whatever it is. Yeah. It's fun you say that too, because it, I was not a boater. I was not a lover of water. I was actually pretty afraid of water for a lot of my life. I can swim, but it's not, it doesn't feel great to me. That's not my go-to form of exercise. But because I'm in a loving relationship and a committed relationship and you make compromises, and also because I wanted to keep an open mind and learn new things, we did it. And we learned together, and it all—it wasn't always fun and warm and fuzzy. But the challenges really promoted a lot of growth. We've had many, many adventures that went <laughs> awry, but also many, many adventures that were really lovely memories as a couple and as a family. For me personally, I can say that it was an opportunity that I'm glad I took, and I didn't push back or resist to do something that was not in my comfort zone. We have two gorgeous photographs that we got 
from a from a photographer we discovered on a boating vacation in a small town in Michigan. They're close-up shots. One is a lighthouse and one is a beach shore. So every time I look at them, I feel relaxed. I can hear and see the movement of the water just from the photograph. That's so important that you bring up the um, what I call virtual water. In it can be photography and artwork, and it can be music. It can be literature, poetry, and it's all of that takes you back to your boat, takes you back to your beach, takes you back to your lake, takes you back to your blue mind. But a little, here's a little sort of pro user tip on the virtual water and the artwork. Um, if you're, if your photographs and art have been in the same place for a long time, move them. And what that does, it kind of reactivates the novelty of the art. Cause sometimes when art, stays in the same place for a very long time, you start to not see it because it's, you just, it just blends into the wall or blends mm -hmm. into the decor and you get used to it and you appreciate it a little bit less. When I travel and don't have access to the natural water sounds, I'll, I'll do the same thing you do and just, I'll, I'll find a, a 10 hour YouTube ocean, ocean sound. I'll just put that on play or an app and, and listen to it, you know, um, and it and it also masks all the noise in a hotel room or if you're in a in a, a more urban environment it helps to kind of cover up up the things that might keep you awake so it's good to have a toolkit of uh, mm -hmm. other ways you know whether it's a, a an urban fountain that you can sit by during lunch uh, or a bathtub at home that you've set up so you really love it or artwork and and recordings and podcasts and you know get it pull up your favorite podcast people talking about water and just lose yourself in, in that or audiobooks you know as the case may be yeah those are all ways that we can practice blue mind so you've talked about blue mind can you define for my audience the difference between what you've coined blue mind versus red mind yeah so i think the you know the best way to understand blue mind is is usually to start with red mind, which is our kind of our new normal. Um, we have way more information coming into our brains per hour per day than any any other generation of humans. Uh, and you, know, you can you can look at the comparisons, and we we might consume more information in a busy hour than our ancestors consumed in a month, just given all the forms of communication that we have. Uh, and it's all the different kinds of screens. And you know, I, I even, I watch my kids use Instagram and they just go through hundreds, if not thousands of images, sometimes in a minute. Yeah. And so they're, they're taking that in. They're not really processing it much, but it's still information that's arriving through their eyes and into their brains. We're kind of overcommitted. A, a lot of Americans don't take all their vacation days uh, a lot of Americans, when they do take a vacation, they don't really stop working. They take their smartphone with them. Um, we check the news. When, you know, when Friday comes along and it's time to go relax, we go to a, a loud restaurant with 15 different TV screens playing 15 sporting events, and we stay distracted. At its extreme, it can lead to anxiety. It can lead, it can lead to disorder. Uh, it can lead to unhealth. So that stress, the stress hormones that we've become addicted to, if you just keep them pumping through your body all the time, that cortisol, 
it impedes healing. It, it promotes inflammation, which impedes healing. So, uh, so that's red mind. If you stay in red mind too long, you will, you will inevitably end up in gray mind, which is burnout and breakdown. You, you know, red mind can be very useful. It's what fires us up. It's the fire in our belly. It's what gets us to the finish line. It's what helps us compete. And that's how we put a, uh, a spaceship on the moon. That's, you know, it's how we, how we strive and thrive. But if it's all you have, you will break down. You know, and I'm, and I'm not, I'm not saying we need to be in blue mind all the time. That's just not, you'd be the classic surfer dude who's like, whatever, <laughs> man, I don't care. It's all good. You know, that's not really what we're talking about. But once in a while, you need a little bit of that. You need, you need to be on the bow of the boat, chilling, you know, and, and letting your body and your mind feel restored, connecting with yourself, connecting with your planet, connecting with your loved ones, without screens, without information, without a to-do list. But I would, caution, I would caution people against bringing too much of the red mind structure to their blue mind activity. So I, mm. I see people on the beach who are, they've got their, their Fitbit and they've got their headphones and they've got a certain amount of time and a certain number of steps and they're on the beach getting their blue mind on, but it's all in a little box mm -hmm. and it's all hyper-quantified and they might not really be getting uh, the reset that they, they could be if they would just not look at that little screen on their wrist and pull the headphones. I think it's important to remember that it, these are tools. And are you using the tool or is the tool using you? <laughs> right. Who, yeah, who's in control? Exactly. And there are times where I have my uh, smartwatch and sometimes I get super irritated when I haven't reached the goal that I want to reach. And my daughter, my eldest one looked at me and a couple of times and said this to me, you know, this is just a tool, right? You know, you got your steps in just because the watch didn't say it. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That kind of reminds me, you, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but some, some of the most important things in our lives, we don't, not only do we don't have science to describe them, we don't even have words, except, except the permission to not even have the words to say what needs to be said. And sometimes that means just sitting there quietly, but you look across and you see the look on, on the face of your loved one, you don't need those words. You don't need to describe, you're just, you, you know it, they know it. It's the nonverbal we, I think in that type A mode, we're looking for the words, we're looking for the data, we're mm -hmm. looking for the, the strategy, we're looking for the to-do list. How do I operationalize and make this efficient? And sometimes the really, really the best and most, even ironically, most productive way to approach it is to not even worry about the words, let alone the data One of the things that you mentioned comes to mind in your point you just made was that we do need to establish a level of what might seem bored to be boredom or quiet so that we allow our brains to do a lot of the work that's necessary to process new information, to create new memories. It was an interesting piece of science you covered that said, even in a meditative state, the mind isn't 
shut off like people think it is. It's actually quite active, but it's a necessary form of active. Can you cover that science a little bit? And I know it's a big ask, but other science that might be approachable to understanding Blue Mind. So I think, you know, the, the science, a lot of the research has come, uh, become available on sleep and the importance of sleep and restful, rest, really, truly restful, your full eight hours or more every night. And what's happening while we sleep and while we rest and we sit quietly in a meditative state is, is consolidation. We do a lot of pruning of information that we gather during the day when our mind is at rest. So the, the insight there is that there's a lot of processing that's going on even while we sleep. Uh, there's a lot of activity even while we meditate. And it turns out those are very important and very healthy, and they allow us to be creative. They allow us to make sense of, of the world. They allow us to connect the dots. And Blue Mind isn't just, I'm on the bow of the boat, I'm surrounded by whales, I'm having this incredible National Geographic moment. Blue Mind can be in your bed at night with your eyes closed, just you know, thinking about those places or drifting uh, in the middle of the day, uh, letting your, your mind wander. And it's that, it's that mildly meditative state that turns out, not only is it really healthy in this red-minded world, it's a requirement for you to be the best at what you do. As a creative, problem-solving adult with responsibility. And the, the great thing about water is that technology and water don't love each other. Probably shouldn't bring my iPhone in the water, even though it says it can go to a few feet underwater. Probably a bad idea. And so even the bathtub, you're, you're best off leaving the technology far away from the water and just being with the water. And, uh, you know, granted, it's nice to take photos sometimes, but even that, just you don't need a photo of every sunset. You could, you could <laughs> they look a lot alike day after day. So, you know, you don't have to prove anything. There's lots of photos of sunsets. There's some psycho, something very psychologically important to solitude, to really being truly alone, which means not together online, not monitored, not recorded. Alexa and Siri are not part of solitude. Even though it seems like we're connected, it's so true that people are, and studies are showing that people are feeling even more anxious and more depressed with all of this so-called connectivity. I was having this conversation with my brother-in-law the other day, and I said, I don't know why we call them Facebook friends. And look, maybe some of them are your friends, okay? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is 500 of them cannot possibly be your friends. And so even the terminology is misleading and it, and it makes you feel anxious um, and depressed that you're not getting more likes or more attention uh, with your posts. So what's wrong with me? Or why don't I look like that gorgeous? Why am I not sitting on the beach with the sunset behind me with the glasses of wine and as part of this perfect couple? Well, you don't know if that couple didn't just have a fight right before that picture right. <laughs> or after. Well, the other thing is, if you 
if you compare yourself daily to everyone, which is what social media does, it, you, you're comparing yourself to a, uh, an amalgamation, the conglomerate, everyone, everything. So everybody's vacation as a, as, so that's them. And then there's you, you lose every time. You also go into therapeutic uses around water, which I found extremely fascinating. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, you know, I think what we've seen is that Blue Mind as therapy works best, most clearly from a sort of a clinical research perspective, with the people who need it most. So mm. when we, when we, and that, and I think it, it works. It works well for all of us. Let's just put it that way. But you see, you see the improvement and you see the efficacy of blue mind therapy among the people carrying the highest levels of anxiety and stress. So anxiety disorders, uh, post-traumatic stress, so-called at-risk youth. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm, my background is in in marine sciences and evolutionary biology and I always defer to the the doctors and the clinical researchers and in in this and the therapists, the professionals. But what we found is that when Blue Mind is used in complement with other kinds mm -hmm. of therapies, mm -hmm. so this is not a an either or. We're mm -hmm. not in a fight. It's it's a yes and situation. So when you add water to your to your therapies, whatever you're doing already. Oftentimes, what we see is the other stuff works better. So, for example, we work with a lot of veterans who have debilitating post-traumatic stress from their time in war. And some of them don't sleep or haven't slept for years. They try to function during the day. They are highly medicated, sometimes... Um, self-medicated in ways like alcohol and drugs. Anxiety and depression define their lives. Their social lives suffer. Their physical health suffers. And when they get connected to the water through boating, through fly fishing, through paddling, through surfing, sailing, kayaking, we see a lot of improvement. And it's not like it's a silver bullet fix to post-traumatic stress at all but the nights after spending days on the water people sleep better you're just tired but in a good way mm -hmm. and you, and that's a gift if you haven't slept for years because of anxiety and you get a good night's sleep you wake up in the morning and you feel like you got a piece of yourself back uh, men and women who have had Anxiety and stress that's led to addiction when they can connect, satisfy the addictive tendency with something like surfing or going to the beach, beach cleanups, uh, especially when there's a service component, then it's just amazing. So if, if the surf therapy is helping them take care of themselves, but then they become addicted to serving others through surf therapy, then it's just magic. It's just pure magic.
you've got to find the proper tools because they're individual. Not everything works for everyone. You, you have your unique personality. And so it's really your responsibility to discover those things. You alluded to a toolbox. That's a, ter- that's a term I use a lot in my classes. You've got to figure out what tools to put in your own toolbox. So you know how to self-regulate or you know what's right for you, what's not right for you. Because again, not everything works for everybody. And it shouldn't. It doesn't make any sense. Sometimes, in, it, in your story, it aligns with this. You, you may say, I, I understand what you're telling me. I understand this boat thing, but I'm not really into it. And so there's a comfort zone that needs to be extended. And so that's a whole other category. There's a new skill set that needs to be acquired. Mm-hmm. And it may involve learning to swim. I meet adults all the time. Like when I was a kid, I loved swimming. I loved jumping in to the water and I love swimming to the bottom and sitting there. Let's get that piece, that piece of mind that you felt as a child back. Let's rekindle that. Let's just go to the pool and sit in the water and float and, sit and hold your breath and sit on the bottom for 15 seconds. And the peace that that can bring I think one of the things that you're saying here, what I can hear is also just the simplicity of joy. What's wrong with simply experiencing joy? (laughs) Does everything have to be competitive? It is simple joy. And if your tub shower experience has become purely functional, strictly hygiene, you're missing out. Water, that water that's flowing through your home, that water has been on earth forever. Same water. It's gone through the water cycle. It's been all over the place. It's been in the sky. It's been on the ground. It's been in the soil. It's been through bodies, organisms. It's been through the rivers and the lakes. It's been through the ocean. And it's been recycling for millennia. You get the privilege of having it pass through some tubes and pipes into your home. Half of the water, according to NASA, half the water on Earth came in on other celestial bodies like asteroids. So half of the water that's here that we use, we enjoy, is extraterrestrial. You know, it's, it's the matrix of life. And you, you get it, you get, we take it for granted as it passes through our homes. So many people have to go for a long walk and go get the water mm-hmm. and carry it mm-hmm. on their backs, mm-hmm. on their heads, in their arms, back to their homes, and then experience it and appreciate it. We get to turn a knob. Was it that the inspiration for the Blue Marbles Project? Yeah. So, I, you know, for a while, professionally, every, every time I was speaking about the ocean and water, it felt like it was a bad news story. And I was trying to motivate people by scaring them, saying, if we don't do this, this is going to happen. Whether it was overfishing or plastic pollution or climate change or any other kind of pollution, I realized that I, I wasn't, it wasn't working. Not, it wasn't working for anyone. It wasn't working for me or anybody else. We, we can't really scare people into action, sustained action. Um, 
the fight or flight response is real. It works, but it works for a few seconds, <laughs> not, not for a lifetime. It's not a good way to build movement. And so I just took a step back and thought, I'm, I don't want to be part of, of the gloom and doom brigade. And shame. Uh, and shame. Mm-hmm. Yes. Fear, anger, shame. And factoids, overwhelming people with information. I kind of took a step back and thought, I'm, what about gratitude and love and curiosity and solutions and creativity? And so I had this idea that if I, every time I speak now, I give everybody a blue marble and it's a token of gratitude. And when you get it in your hand, it has a weight to it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a pretty object. You can look through it. It's, it's blue and you can see the bubbles inside it. And then when you get it, you're asked to pass it on to somebody that you want to say thank you to. And you have, you have all the time in the world. And then you get to have a conversation like this about why you're sharing your marble with that person, what it means to you. You can embellish it in, in all, any way you want. And it's been great. And we've shared over a million marbles around the world. Oh, that's and impressive. People... Yeah, they just keep going, and people people say, "Hey, I love my marble, but I I want, you know, I'm a teacher, and I want to give a marble to all my students." And so they get their own marbles. Um, a young man got a marble. He cleaned up a beach, and then his bar mitzvah was coming up, and he got marbles for everybody who came to his bar mitzvah. And he told his marble story and gave everybody a bar mitzvah. And people give them out at weddings and at memorial services and at any kind of events. And I've had a few, a few uh, situations where I was invited to give a lecture and the technology went out the window, like whatever, it was a technical breakdown, but I had a bag of marbles and I didn't need, I didn't need technology if, if I've got my bag of marbles. So I gave everybody in the room a marble, spent an hour exploring all in that much seawater or lake water, you would find hundreds of millions of organisms in that much water. You'd find every element known in the universe dissolved in that much water. So we got into the biology and the chemistry and then the psychology of gratitude. It's a, it's a reminder of what makes us human in that we like to share stories. So at the end of the day, no matter how much fancy technology we have, we are human beings who evolved from people who passed stories on to one another who taught right. one another valuable lessons and, and shared experiences through storytelling, whether that's the spoken word, whether that's through pictures, art, whether music. that's through music, yeah. so many forms. But stories connect us. Mm-hmm. They're powerful. Mm-hmm. And, our, and our brains are really good at remembering stories. And the best stories were, had rhythm, and they, we call them songs. And so we shared mission-critical information about living, about survival. Where's the water? Where's the food? Where are the other people? Who, what's dangerous mm-hmm. out there in the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are the seasons doing? Where should we go? Where should we live? We shared all that life-and-death information through songs. The hippocampus and the amygdala are right next to each other, so you've got Emotion and memory mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. physiologically aligned in your brain. So when you tell a, an emotional story, it is remembered. You know, that's kind of, you know, the, the marble story. If we, if we can transmit 
information about being healthier individually, collectively, and living on a healthier planet, if we can transmit that through great stories uh, and a gift, the gift of that marble, it's going to go a lot further than sitting at the front of a room with a PowerPoint scaring the crap out of people, <laughs> <laughs> making, them, making them feel bad. They're, they're going to associate you with that bad feeling, and they're mm -hmm. not going to come to the next lecture. They're not going to read your next report. It has been an enormous honor and it's such oh, a likewise. pleasure and so comfortable. <laughs> it's just so much fun yeah. to talk to you. Like we could talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> My final question that I ask everyone is, what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? You know, I, I think I would have answered that differently before I was a dad. As a dad now, two teenage daughters, I realize how my health and their health are intertwined. That if I'm healthy in mind, body, and spirit, it influences them and vice versa. And we've had some family health crises that I won't go into. It's not my story to tell. It's my daughter's story. It's really hard, really, really hard. Uh, for her and for all of us. And I recognized through that this idea of you know, fa family-based health and family-based therapy and family-based healing and how important our health is to each other as a unit. And that's true for families. It's, it's, true, it's true for communities. I'll go so far as to say I, I think it's true for countries, nations, you know, if, if my neighbors are not healthy, I'm not healthy. That's how I feel. And I think this conversation that we've had about, about the water and how it influences our physical, our emotional, and our social health, I think is it's a, it's a good time to share these ideas that we've been digging into because a lot of people are, you know, not feeling emotionally and socially healthy. And as a result, their physical health is suffering. And I think reconnecting with our waters can can help all three thank you for that <laughs> thank <Welcome>. you <laughs> and now it's time for the mindful minute in our chat dr nichols talked about a tradition that he had started several years ago which is the blue mind challenge I have been participating in the challenge by posting daily pictures and videos of special times that I had on the water with my family. This is my story, but it doesn't have to be yours. What's your water story? You can choose to post on social media with the hashtag BlueMind, or you can decide to keep it private. There's no right or wrong way to do this. What does it mean to you? A bath? Enjoying a cup of tea? Taking a walk in a natural setting and listening to the water sounds in the distance? Your choice. Thanks for being here. See you next time. What I have learned about yoga over the years is the fact that it has taught me how to concentrate on the movement of my various muscles in my body. 
I never thought I could do that before. But by doing that, you find you have control over your muscles and you can move them at will. If something is sore, you can help make it better. You also can move your entire body and get into a state of relaxation and meditation in a way in which you cannot with any other activities that I have found. Nadine has been a wonderful teacher and director along those lines that she has explained what's happening and I could not at this point give up yoga. To learn more and to practice with me, find me at yogimd.net.